Well, good morning, Aletheia Church. Uh, if it looks like I am tired, it's because I am. We are recording very early this morning uh, due to weather constraints. Uh, we are unable to meet outside, but we are so uh, fortunate that we are able to gather online this morning. Uh, we thank the Lord for technology. Uh, we've, we also hope as a church family that you have enjoyed your 4th of July weekend. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the holiday safely and responsibly. I remember as a kid always loving this holiday every year. Uh, the weather was great. Family and friends would be gathered together. Usually some sort of aquatic activities going on. Uh, baseball, which I love to play. Not so much watch, but love to play. Uh, lots and lots of food and, of course, fireworks. Now that I'm a parent, please stop setting fireworks off at night. Please. I beg it of you. My wife begs it of you, and anyone with young children begs that you stop setting up fireworks after bedtime. In all seriousness, though, uh, we hope that you've enjoyed the holiday and that you are ready to get back to work here uh, tomorrow. Um, either way, it is definitely an interesting time, to say the least, at least for us in our state. Right, We're in uncharted territory right now, and I, I just want to remind you guys to continue to do uh, what is being asked of us by our state and local authorities so we can try to stop the spread of COVID-19. When we begin to gather together again, hopefully next week, weather permitting, um, we are going to be asked by the local uh, government here to make sure that we are actually in non-family units staying six feet away from each other while we are outside. They're allowing us to continue to gather, but we need to honor what they've asked us to do. So please start mentally preparing yourself to be able to distance a little bit further even when we are outside. So if you have your Bible or your scripture journal at home, go ahead and open them up to Acts chapter 26. Um, That's where we're going to be this morning. And it's hard for me to believe, but this will be our last Sunday in the book of Acts. Our first sermon in this book was on August 22nd of last year. So in almost a full year later, we have come to the end of our time studying this book. And here is what we have seen as a church. God built his church and God continues to build his church. Christianity began with roughly 120 men and women seeing the resurrected Jesus in Jerusalem, and then seeing Jesus command them to go on mission and spread the gospel. And since then, everything that we have seen in the book of Acts was centered around Jesus empowering and fulfilling the mandate that he gave in Acts 1-8, where he said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We saw the church grow exponentially and expand even in the face of persecution. We saw the gospel go forth and be preached by normal, everyday people who had not received seminary training, who had not received public speaking training, but simply loved Jesus, had seen him, and wanted others to know about him. We saw the gospel spread at a speed unheard of in that day and age, an age without a telephone, an age without a computer, an age without the internet, and yet the gospel spread rapidly amongst the Roman world. We saw people convert 
to follow Jesus across ethnic lines, across socioeconomic lines, and across political lines. And at one point, Luke even makes the claim that all in Asia had heard the gospel. This happened because the Holy Spirit empowered the church to fulfill the great commission that Jesus had given them. God is faithful. And that is ultimately the theme of the book of Acts, that God is faithful to his mission, to his church, and to his people. We consistently saw from the early church that the gospel was proclaimed. Every opportunity was seized and lives were changed because of that gospel proclamation. And the gospel is still good news today. The good news of Jesus Christ paying the penalty and price for our sins and raising from the dead to offer us new life is just as good a news in 2020 as it was in AD 35. Today, we are going to finish by looking at how Paul continues to seize every opportunity to go and tell. That was what we titled our series way back in August of last year, Go and Tell, because that's exactly what the church did. And as we finish this morning in Acts 26, I want you to see how Paul himself followed that mission all the way to his arrest and subsequently, as we learn later in history, his death. So the last eight or so chapters of the book of Acts are all about Paul's final couple of years going through persecution before his death at the hand of the Romans. Theo opened up that discussion last week as he preached to us on sharing how the Holy Spirit enabled Paul to be empowered to testify to what Christ had done. How the Holy Spirit both empowered and compelled Paul to share the gospel, and to testify about its power in his life. How Paul did that was that he willingly went to Jerusalem knowing what awaited him. He knew that he was going to be persecuted and arrested for going there to witness about Jesus, and yet he went anyway knowing that this is what God wanted for him. The Jews were mad with him, specifically the Asian Jews. And as they showed up in Jerusalem, they persecuted Paul and had him arrested. And what you see later on even in chapter 23 is that these Jewish leaders actually take an oath that they would not eat until Paul was dead. Do you imagine that? People being so fearful and angry of what you're doing in ministry, that they go on a hunger strike. Religion can do some crazy things to people sometimes. This morning, what we're going to focus on, though, is the shift in Paul's life and goal as shared in Acts 23, verse 11. Let me read that verse to you. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So what's going on here is Paul has been under arrest. He has 
already testified to the resurrection of Jesus in Jerusalem. And what the Holy Spirit is now telling Paul is that he must go to Rome to continue to testify about Jesus Christ. So let me catch you up on what happens in chapters 24 and 25 before we dive into chapter 26. So in chapter 24, Paul has to go before Felix, who is the governor of that region. And Felix wants to know why Paul is being detained by the Jews. So the Jews come before Felix and they call uh, Paul the ringleader of the Nazarenes. And then Paul says, actually, I'm being held because of my teaching on the resurrection. It is a dispute amongst our people uh, on the the power of the resurrection and what that means uh, as to why I am being held. And so Paul remains for two years with Felix and his wife, Drusilla, and Luke shares with us that he shares the gospel multiple times uh, with them over the course of those two years. And finally, when we get to the end of chapter 24, Felix ends up being replaced as governor by a guy by the name of Porcius Festus. Awesome name, right? If you moms and dads are looking for a name for your new son, highly recommend Porcius Festus. Fantastic. So anyway, when you get to chapter 25, Festus's interaction with Paul begins. And what we see is that Festus is confused as to why Paul has been arrested and detained. Felix clearly had not shared that information with him, and he cannot find a reason to condemn Paul, even though he wants to have him condemned because he wants to make the Jews happy, because more than likely, he knows that Israel had a tendency over time to create insurrections. And so oftentimes a governor in that region would try to get on the good side of the Jewish religious leaders. That way, they were less likely to rebel and create trouble. Basically what happened, if you were a a Roman governor during that time period, if your um, area uh, fomented rebellion in some uh, way, shape, or form, you oftentimes were uh, killed (laughs) if you did not keep people under control. And so this was a, a tactic politically used by Festus to try to keep the Jews happy so that they would not later rebel. And so Festus is trying to find a reason to condemn Paul, and he offers Paul a trial in Jerusalem to appease the Jews. Paul, however, looks at Festus and says, no, I'm, I'm a Roman. Um, I demand to see Caesar and Rome. And the moment that that happens, Festus is bound by law to send Paul to Rome to plead his case before Caesar. Festus agrees, but still has no idea even what to send Paul to Rome with as a charge. He's like, I don't know what Paul has done. I don't even know why we have him detained. I don't think it's right for me to send him to Rome without a specific charge against him. So I don't even know how I'm going to send him to Rome. And so he ends up inviting King Agrippa to help him question Paul and decide what to charge him with. And this is what we see it happen after that, starting in Acts chapter 26. Acts 26 picks up with Agrippa showing up at uh, Festus's house, temple, uh, palace, whatever you want to call it. And they're going to start questioning Paul. And this is what we're going to see starting in verse 1 of chapter 11. 
Let me read that to you. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So what we see in those first 11 verses is what I kind of want to share with you guys this morning is the first of three things I think we see Paul do here in Acts 26 that is a pattern of faithfulness through out the book of Acts that we can continue to pattern in our own lives to go and tell as we spread the gospel, start new churches, and advance the kingdom of God. And that's this, the first thing we see Paul doing here, and he does it all throughout the book of Acts, along with other faithful brothers and sisters, is that he seizes opportunities. Notice how Paul uses the opportunity God gives him here not to provide a defense for himself, which will come in some small way, but to set up the opportunity to actually share the good news of what Jesus has done. Let me read verses six through eight for you again. That might make it more clear. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promises made by God to our fathers to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? See what what Paul does there? I'm here because of what scripture already teaches us will happen. I'm here because scripture promised us that God would raise his prophet from the dead. I'm here because God raises the dead. These are things that as Jews, we should already believe. Then he goes on to say, I used to persecute Christians as well for this very thing. I used to persecute Christians for saying that Jesus had raised from the dead. So he's even relating now with the Jews who are in the room who have brought these charges against him. But he does so in such a way as not to be able to defend himself, 
but be able, to be able to have the opportunity to share what Jesus had done. If we are going to be empowered as the church to go and tell, we must look intentionally at the places God is putting us in as opportunities to be seized in sharing the gospel with others. This means that Paul can be under arrest and being persecuted and not be downtrodden, heartbroken, and sad, but instead say, this is the opportunity that God has given me right now. This means that a friend helping a roommate through a tough season is not there by happenstance, but because God is presenting them with an opportunity to share the gospel. It's like a young man I know who is currently incarcerated. And every time I talk to him, he says, God has put me here for a reason to share the gospel in prison. It's like a pastor friend I know who lost his five-week-old baby. And between the hospital and those that's in the community that desire to comfort him and his family during that deep and dark season, he used it to witness to the hope he had in Christ in the midst of grieving. God is constantly opening doors in a variety of places in good times and in times of suffering so that we might seize those opportunities to witness of the finished work of Jesus Christ. People are open to talking about spiritual things. Even world leaders trying to decide what to charge Paul with. And it is up to us to be intentional as we seek to live out what it means to be the church. We must be intentional in seizing the opportunities that God lays before us. And in that, we will be so blessed as to see God be faithful to us the same way that he is to Paul or to Stephen or to Peter or to so many recorded here in the book of Acts. So the first thing we're encouraged to do by Luke here and sharing this story is to seize opportunities given to us. The second thing we're going to see Paul do is he's going to share his testimony of how his life had been changed by Jesus. Let me share that part of the story with you, starting in verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when, he had, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes 
so that they may turn from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Look at Paul's transformation that he shares there. He went from persecuting and killing Christians, which we studied even way on back earlier as we studied the book of Acts, to meeting the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. He places his trust in Jesus, and then he is appointed to go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel. He goes from darkness to light. He receives forgiveness of sins, and then he is told to go and share that same message with others. Paul shares with Agrippa, I was obedient. And since I began testifying about Jesus, here's what I have experienced. I've experienced Jews persecuting me and trying to kill me. I've seen God empower me to testify to his resurrection. And I've seen God fulfill scripture. He says that in verse 23, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul's testimony speaks of two beautiful things, both his personal transformation after encountering Jesus, but also God's faithfulness to keep his word. This is the power of God unto salvation, that God transforms and that God is faithful. If we want to be empowered to go and tell, to be the church, our testimonies are a key ingredient to what God wants to use in drawing others to him. I remember that when I was a non-believer in college and people were witnessing to me, I often had objections about Jesus or about the scriptures or about the church or about religion. But one of the things that it was really, really hard for me to object to and ultimately caused me to reconsider and rethink everything that I believed was the fact that I was just meeting a lot of people who were sharing with me the fact that their life had been radically transformed by God and his grace to them through Jesus Christ. When you see people and hear them talk about how their life went from being about one thing to being something completely different almost overnight, that is hard to argue with. 
Paul knows this, especially in light of the fact that he had been a Pharisee who had persecuted Christians before, that this testimony would declare to Agrippa and to Festus the beauty of what God had done in his life and ultimately how the beauty of what God had done in his life was not abnormal, but a normal part of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And that that normal part of being a follower of Jesus means seeing God's faithfulness to you as he transforms you and sanctifies you by faith. If we are going to be empowered to go and tell, we must seize the opportunities God has laid before us. And in seizing those opportunities, we need to be so bold as to share how Jesus has transformed our lives. And in sharing that transformation, God will use that to tug on the heartstrings of our one, of our family members, of our roommates, of our classmates, as our coworkers, and of our neighbors. So be emboldened to embrace what Jesus has done in your life and share that with others. Lastly, when we get to verse 24, we see the final thing that Paul does that is so important in faithful witness to Christ. Let me read verses 24 through 32. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. So I love this, right? Festus is like, dude, I've listened to everything you're saying. You're crazy. You are completely crazy, everything that you're sharing. And look at Paul's response. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. So here's what he's saying. He's like, hey, I know this seems strange to you, Festus, because you are not culturally Jewish. But everything I'm sharing here, Agrippa knows about. Everything that I've said has been opened clearly to him and has not been hidden in a corner. Then he turns and says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to become a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So the last thing we see Paul do that we need to take note of and that we need to follow as an example is that we see Paul is empowered to compel others to turn to Jesus. Look at Paul's actions, right? Festus thinks Paul is crazy because he doesn't understand the cultural and religious context of the stories that Paul is sharing. So we see here that in even this specific example, there's two men there primarily that Paul is talking to, but he's seizing the opportunity primarily with Agrippa. 
And as he's sharing everything here and shares his testimony, Paul says, no, not at all. Everything that I share is in line with God's word. Ask Agrippa. He knows nothing I have said is outside the realm of possibility and what, God, what God's word says to us. He will have noticed that because of everything that I've shared in full. And then he says this, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Right? That is this compelling moment at the crescendo of Paul's argument and defense and testimony here. Agrippa, will you respond to what I have shared this morning? Will you respond to what God has done in my life, in the life of so many others, and that he has raised Jesus Christ from the dead as our substitute for our sin and rebellion towards him? He compels Agrippa to respond to the gospel. This is an important and often overlooked element of faithful witness in the church. Church, we must be faithful to not just share the gospel, not just share our, our stories and testimonies, not just seize opportunities that God has given us, but then be faithful to compel others and invite them to respond the way that Paul appeals to Agrippa to respond to Jesus. When I think about my own conversion to following Christ, my story has all sorts of pieces to it. But the person that sees the opportunity most in their life, that shared their story of transformation and compelled me to turn to Christ was my sister. She was faithful to witness to me time and time again. She seized opportunities. She spent time with me. She knew what was going on in my life and she used those times to challenge me. She shared her testimony because she knew that I could see something different in her life. She knew that not only could I visually see that there was something occurring in her life, things that she cared about now being different, but she changed how she approached everything. She changed at how she even approached the university we were going to, going from being bitter that she had to go to that one to being excited about what God was doing in her life. And she changed how she even talked about what was going on in her own life. And she would consistently share with me how Jesus had given her hope and how excited she was that God had brought her to this place. But she didn't stop there she finally would compel me to turn to Jesus. She appealed on the basis of some of the biblical foundations that I had going to church some as a kid growing up. But ultimately, she invited me to turn from my sin and trust in Jesus instead of my own performance and my own worldview. And God used her faithful presence to draw me to him. Church, God wants to use us like he used Paul, like he used my sister to go and tell others of what Jesus has done so that they might experience 
the forgiveness of sin that Jesus promised Paul on the road to Damascus? Will we be faithful? Will we be willing? Will we be able? Will we allow God to use us, to empower us, to seize opportunities, to share our testimony and compel others to follow God and his son, Jesus Christ? Because this is our mandate, to go and tell the world of what Jesus has done. It is what the entire book of Acts is all about. The early church going and telling what Jesus has done. Normal people, uneducated, not seminary trained, not Pharisees, not part of the Sanhedrin. Normal people who had experienced the grace of Jesus Christ on their lives, sharing that same grace with others and compelling people to turn to Jesus. That is our mission. If you are a Christian watching this morning, you can likely trace your spiritual heritage all the way back to Paul's faithfulness. How he seized opportunities when given them by God. Not just in front of Agrippa, not just in front of Felix and the Jews, but in Ephesus, Corinth, Galatia, all over modern Rome, Paul consistently seized opportunities to share the gospel. How he shared how Jesus had radically transformed his life from a persecutor of Christians to a herald of Christianity. How he compelled others to turn to Jesus. God has grown his church from 120 men and women through the faithfulness of men and women like Paul. And he wants to continue that mission through us. Months ago, way back in August, as a church, we started something we called the One Campaign. And we coincided that very intentionally with our series in the book of Acts called Go and Tell. But here's what's so great is this morning, this is the end of Acts for us, right? All we see in Acts 27 is that Paul gets shipwrecked on his way to Rome and then eventually gets to Rome and is faithfully awaiting trial before Caesar and the book ends. But we know what happens, right? History tells us that Paul was killed, that Caesar had him executed for his witness about Christianity and what Christ had done. But the, but the story of the church didn't stop in Acts 28. The story of what God has done has been going on now for close to 2,000 years. As God has been faithful to his church in the midst of plagues, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of war, in the midst of famine, in the midst of earthquakes, in the midst of natural disasters. The gospel has expanded from Jerusalem 
to Samaria and in Judea and to the ends of the earth. And the gospel continues to go forward to the end of the earth. And even though our time in Acts this morning is done, the call of God to go and tell does not stop until Christ's return. We are encouraged by our early church brothers and sisters to follow their example, to be encouraged, equipped, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and tell. And so the one campaign is going to continue. Whether you have seen the way that we have this past year, right? Because what we did is we asked you to think of one person that you wanted to see God rescue. Write their name on a card and place it at the foot of the cross. And guys, we have seen over the course of the last 10 to 11 months, beautiful stories of people in our church witnessing to family members, witnessing to roommates, witnessing to classmates, witnessing to coworkers, and not only witnessing, but in compelling them to turn to Christ, people surrendering and coming to Jesus. There are names that have been taped to the cross because God has saved them in the last year. Some of you might be watching this morning because of someone else in this church's faithfulness to sharing the gospel. Church, this is our mission. To go and tell our one and all the other unbelieving neighbors in our sphere of influence. So as we take time this morning to reflect on all that we have seen God do, as we take time to reflect and worship him and thank him for his faithfulness to men like Peter, James, Paul, Priscilla, Aquila, may we also thank God for his faithfulness to us. And when we ask him to use us, to empower us, to be faithful, to go and tell. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank, thank you that even as we read stories of persecution and trial, is littered with your faithfulness. Thank you that Aletheia Church exists because of the faithfulness of thousands of men and women over the course of the last 2,000 years. God, you are faithful to the mandate that you gave in Acts 1 8. Empower us, Lord, as your church to be faithful, to seize opportunities, to share our testimony, and to compel others to turn to you because you are worthy. God, we love you, praise you, and we want to see others come to know you as God's Savior and King. Might you use us as you save all that you have elected. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.